0: Welcome to the Faces podcast. We're a Christian and Muslim charity working to build resilience in faith communities against child sexual exploitation and other forms of harm. We'll be talking about what faith and interfaith work means to us and how we embed an inclusive and authentic approach throughout our work.
1: Hello and welcome to our podcast on Islamophobia month, um, looking at uh, issues facing young people. Um, so one of the things we'd like to start with, uh, with me, I've got, uh, I don't know if everyone would like to introduce themselves, uh, starting with you maybe, Peter?
2: I'm Peter Adams, I work based at St Mary's Church in Luton and St Mary's Centre for Peace and Reconciliation.
1: Okay, Rohana?
0: I am Rohana Fassel, and I am the co-chair of FACES.
1: And with us also Sufian.
3: Uh, my name is Sufyan Sadiq. I'm chairman of Discovery Islam.
1: Okay, thank, thank you all. Um, what uh, we, we thought we'd do uh, with this podcast is uh, look at what it's like for uh, Muslim young people growing up in Britain. Uh, what challenges do they face? Um, Faces is a charity that looks at safeguarding and we look at the broad welfare of young people from religious backgrounds. Um, So for Islamophobia Month, what is difficult uh, for young Muslims at school and also young Muslims entering the workplace? So I'll throw that open and see if any of you would like to have an answer on that.
3: I'll go with that first. I think the challenge varies across the country and I think that's really important to understand and it varies from school to school and community to community. The reason I say that is that in more homogenous populations where there are perhaps more Muslims in a school. And that, that's quite common based on migration, based on how communities uh, flourish within geographical areas. You either have a real density of one population in one area, but there are obviously outliers in that. There are families that, for whatever reason, don't necessarily uh Sit within that nucleus of the, the, the wider Muslim community, Roma community, Polish community, whatever migrant community it may be. Where the challenges I think are greatest is where young Muslim children, young people are the minority. Uh, now, that could be them as a minority in this school, but there's also an element of you could be in a school population that's largely Muslim, but where the, there is a minority of Muslim representation in teaching and leadership in schools, therefore could lead to a lack of understanding about Islam. Mm-hmm. Uh, only the other day, I think I saw something on uh, social media, a teacher uh, disciplining young people about tolerance But the justification with which this teacher started was 21 years ago, there was a a terror attack. Now, there was no one in that room that would have been older than 14 or 15. They would have no idea what uh, 9-11 was, what impact it had on communities. And they shouldn't they shouldn't be held accountable for events that took place pre them even coming into this world. And some of those microaggressions, when we get things wrong and we talk about certain communities with certain stereotypes, that can happen at a school level and is not limited at a student population. Some of it then boils down to, how young people treat young people, and we know keeping children safe in education. There's a heavy emphasis now on peer and peer abuse, where young people, child and child, where one child is uh, abusing another child, and abuse uh, manifests itself in various forms. There's no clear rationale around what abuse could look like, what abuse is. So In the same way, Islamophobia is one of those things that manifests itself in various guises. We have an assumption that Islamophobia is when somebody perhaps dresses up, I don't know, uh, as a terrorist or whatever they may depict a terrorist to be. Perhaps it's the pulling off of a hijab of a girl that's wearing a headscarf. I think Those gross manifestations of abuse sometimes take away from what the daily occurrences of abuse are, which are more subtle, which hurt as much as those big events. But those small microaggressions, those small comments, the banter in the classroom, the the teasing of one another, the bullying, because of their faith, the marginalization, the not including people, the lack of tolerance towards beliefs that really erode away the confidence of a young person. Yeah,
2: yeah. Now,
3: we understand and we appreciate we would not do that if there was somebody, and we shouldn't do that. There's a mass appreciation of the fact there's no space for racism from one child to another child. The difficulty is, we do not do enough to educate young people about the importance of Islamophobia, the importance of treating people differently because of the religious beliefs that they hold or any religious symbolisms that may be apparent to them when you see them.
1: Yeah. Thanks, Sufyan. Uh Any comment from uh, Rohana or Peter?
0: Yeah, I mean, Sufian, I think, has thrown up a lot of really um, important points there, and I'm going to try and sort of pick up um on on a few of them. And he raised the the, 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 the um the specter, I guess, of nine eleven. Um and I and I think we we should never underestimate the long lasting impact on Muslim communities um of nine eleven um and the you know the ensuing um quote unquote war on terror. Um and not to say that's the, that's that's um you know certainly a defining moment, um, globally um, in terms of the West's relationship with, with Muslims and Islam, and not to say that there was Islamophobia did not exist before then, um, it absolutely did. But it was certainly um, you know that most of us would say that um, Islamophobia, anti-Muslim sentiment, anti-Muslim racism really um, accelerated um, post, post 9/11. Um, and whilst many of our young people may not well won't remember it obviously it was you know before before they were born um may not necessarily understand it may not necessarily grow a deal a deal about it they are certainly impacted by what followed um and 9-11-7-7 in, in in great britain led to real tangible differences within the world that we live in in terms of legislation in terms of um the sort of legal management of commun- Muslim communities that affects us in the everyday. Now, when we talk about institutional forms of racism, what we mean is that there are laws, or perhaps in an organisation, system, structures, policies, which disproportionately impact, disproportionately harm certain communities. And there are very, very strong arguments to say that much of the counter terror legislation that um, has, you know, that the governments, successive governments, have implemented over the last couple of decades, disproportionately harmed, disproportionately hurt Muslim communities, and that includes young people in school. So we know that in 2015, for example, um, the government introduced the Prevent Duty. Now the Prevent Duty um, gave teachers educators people working in public spaces the duty to um, to make a referral when um, they come into contact with somebody who they think and um, you know <laughs> take this as it as, as it will because people as you will because people have taken it in a very broad sense who they think might be at risk of radicalization extremism and we saw from that you um, you know, and those of us who work within the, the religious place, religious space, within Islamic spaces, we saw a, a surge in um, young people being um, referred to, uh, even if nothing happened to that referral, but being referred for things like asking to pray, being referred for things like um, using uh, very Islamic expressions such as Alhamdulillah or Allahu Akbar, Um, we saw these referrals happen. And, you know, there are a couple of very high cases um, within Luton as well, where we saw some um, really odd referrals for young people, um, including a child as young as three years old. Now, whilst, whilst children might not even know that the prevent duty exists, what we do know from talking, and, you know, there's lots of research out there that tells us young people know that there are aspects of their faith that make people feel uncomfortable, that they know that their aspects of their faith represent something malignant to other people. And they might not understand that, but they know, and we hear from young people, we hear from parents, that young people are self-censoring, that they are not able to take their full selves to school because of the assumptions that they, they know that people, because that's their experience, will make about them. Um, and interestingly, that came up a lot when when Faces carried out our research around um RSE, uh, relationships and sex education. That was one of the things that, that sort of came out quite a bit was um was essentially racist assumptions about young people from teachers based on their protected characteristics. Um, and that actually children had normalized them. That was that was just the thing that happened in school, and it wasn't for the teachers to um, change the way that they thought it was for them to manage their behaviour. Um, and so for an organisation like us who's, who's con- who are concerned with, with safeguarding, we've got to make sure and uh, we've got to kind of keep raising this issue um, around who is safe and who feels safe in school uh, contexts. Um, and sadly, we know that young Muslims do not feel safe in schools. Um, and, and, and that's, again, I mean, I'm i making a very broad statement. As Sofiane says, there are you know, multiple communities, um, you know, multiple schools. Things will be different on the ground in different schools. But very broadly speaking, um, you know, we, we've spoken to young people who love their schools, love their teachers, but still regulated their behavior. Um, and I think that kind of gives us an idea of just the scale of Islamophobia, the scale of the power that it has. Um, over people, even when nothing over, as Sufian said, talking about those overt expressions um, of violence that people experience, even if none of that is happening, um, that the 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 nature um of the sort of political discourse that we've had at the moment concerning Islam and Muslims um has resulted um in people altering their behaviors and feeling um as if you know that they are that they are at risk.
2: Both of those contributions from Sufian and and from Rahana as somebody who has walked alongside, worked alongside both of them now for, when Sufian's case was 13 years or so, (laughs) Um, and worked in. know in different settings working working with different local authority with police with various others as we as we've done things with rohana you know just meeting together in different places sitting in the coffee shop talking walking along the street together etc talking and i as well as in meetings and so on and i suppose my my response there is initially to say I haven't sat quietly in the back of a classroom watching the, the experience of young people. I have sat in many contexts and walked in many contexts with these, my friends. And I, I see, I notice those microaggressions, those little acts, those things that are taken so much as norm and the way people respond to them compared with the way they respond to me. And as I think about that, I can only think what it's like for a young person in a class where the power rests with a teacher, with the staff, and so on, and... The vulnerability lies with the children, the young people who are discriminated against, and and I have, I mean, you know, I hear that what they just said, but I also know, you know, I regularly talk with Rahana about the experiences of her of her children. I've seen and talked with others. And I can only just say my response to this is to say it concerns me deeply, the impact of those, the, the big things, but equally just the little things consistently day by day that, that, that build up in those young, young lives. And the vulnerability that comes as they experience that Mm-hmm. I mean you know, I, 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 I speak humanly though. I speak as a as a friend, as an ally, as somebody who walks alongside and sees the the experience or, that they have. And I suppose in doing so I, I, I can only in some ways point to some of the solutions to this that actually more of us need to walk alongside. To live life alongside. You know, professionals, people who are contributing enormous amounts to our society, like these two, my friends, you know, in in their different areas of life. And as a friend, I, I just enormously value what they have to do and what they have to say. Mm-hmm. But also I experience I see their experiences. And I want to, I suppose, to say, actually, in, in what I say, there's also a bit of a solution. We need more people to do what I do. It's <laughs> just walk alongside mm-hmm. and to observe and, and be an ally. So that, that's my sort of immediate contribution to what they're saying yeah. since you're listening, really. Well,
1: oh, th- thanks all. So that that's a, a, has brought a lot of uh, the issues up. I think what you were saying there, Peter is in some ways we've there's a lot of things that make people other <laughs> and and actually separate society and and especially in schools that can be a very cruel environment uh, of, of other especially uh, as Sufian was mentioning when there's a minority uh, of, of people in a school it can be very very uh, strong and 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 in hearing that i'm just sort of thinking in in a way i'm guessing uh from hearing you is 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 actually it's difficult to live in an environment where you're made to feel other um and it's another thing to take on the environment to change the environment So that less people feel other And I guess that's the issue With with Islamophobia It's helping people who are under uh, uh, um, You know uh, uh, Made to feel other how, how to help them cope with life But there's also at the same time Challenging the systems That keep people feeling other And I just don't know if there's uh, Some wisdom uh, you have on, on those two arenas How do you help someone who is, is experiencing islamophobia continue and envision life beyond that and and how is there um where there's systems that seem very strong on islamophobia how how do we challenge those systems
2: i gave up a long time ago claiming to be somebody who helped people hear ahana <laughs> i quickly learned what uh, what she felt if i said that or when other people said that um but the reality is that I could only by my, for example, I mean, this is my response to that my, my, my experience of sitting in meetings where people listen to me and then they ignore her. <laughs> I and mean, it might be true, of, I mean, it's less true of Sufi and he's a guy, <laughs> it's more true of Rahana as a woman, a Muslim woman. People listen to me. And she can say exactly the same, or I can say exactly the same as she said five minutes later. And they listen to me; they don't listen to her. And you know that is that is just downright discriminatory. That is downright wrong. Um.
0: Even even more so, Pete. Given that, let's be really, really honest. I am cleverer than both you and Sophia. Well,
2: absolutely, Rahana. Who would I be to to
3: uh, to contradict that? <laughs> it I come in on that point now. I think what one thing is you kind of said what could we say to those uh going through it about almost the light at the end of the tunnel? And I think we've got to understand and give perspective to that. It's abuse. Mm-hmm. And what what would we say to someone who was being abused? Mm-hmm. And it's hard because telling someone things will be better when you are feeling on, when you're feeling violated, when you feel that you have no control over the way other humans treat you, the way you feel that there's no access to equity in the way other people can access things, you don't have those privileges. It's very hard to say to that person, "Look beyond," because yeah. actually, when you're being abused, you're unable to look beyond. I wouldn't say to someone no. because I know how hard it is. I know how hard it is. Uh, we talk about institutional racism, but I want to capture the point of Islamophobia as a form of racism and the way I, the way we Muslims are treated in the workplace, the evidence. Studies show that your name is Mohammed. Your chances of even being shortlisted for a job are diminished. Are, are plowing straight down. Now, that's institutional. That's systemic. That's in the infrastructure yeah, from yeah. the onset. And I think it's really hard for for me to be able to stand there. And for me, we 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 talk about a lot of the time. In education often, uh, it, it's okay if, if, you're, if you're Rahana, if you're Sufyan, you know, it's great for you guys to talk about young people, Pakistani people. The moment we want to talk about intellectually challenging discourse, that's not our space because we don't mm-hmm. belong in intellectually challenging discourse uh, arena. It's not for us. I know for well, and I'm very open and happy to say it, That within education, actually, there's a change in representation uh, at the top. It's coming. It's a slow change. It's not enough. It's a long way from where it should be. But where there is a change, people are being polarized into pastoral-type roles, that you're good at community-based roles. Some people would often say to me, you'd make a great head teacher, Sufyan, in a school that serves the Pakistani community in Birmingham, in Bradford, in Leicester, in Luton, why can't I lead young white people? What makes it possible that Peter and I can both go for an interview, but Peter can inspire all, I can inspire some? Why is that? Those, those nuances in that feeling of how people speak to us, how people talk, is really hard, and it grates away at you. And And like with most things, it slowly, slowly, that repeated uh, kind of grating on you, it has an impact. It has an impact on mental health. We're in a mental health crisis. And I often, I I say this, on the outward, I'm a very confident individual. But I always say, try walking in my shoes. Try being someone that's always the one that looks different. they are always the one that is different is always the one that's marginalized. Try talking when you go to places and conferences where people will talk about some really intellectual things. And and I'm very happy to say I'm proud of the fact I I have the best team in the world when it comes to the people I get to work with. And we manage one of the most successful teaching schools uh, in the country on my work side. But when I go to conferences, people want to talk to me about cricket and curry. I have more to offer than cricket and curry. uh, Well, I made a curry once and it didn't didn't go down. But uh, it's it's that idea that it's very limited. And when people feel that the only thing to talk to me about is the community. So I can't have an opinion on pedagogy and practice and thinking around how education should take its shape in the modern world. I should talk about what the impact on the community will be. So I think that part is pretty difficult. And what I do say is, on some, it's pretty hard to be me. And I'm sure it is the same for Rohana. And I always think it's lucky. And me and Rohana were talking about this the other day. We're fortunate that we're driven by faith, that we don't seek acknowledgement from organizations, from individuals, uh, from worldly gains. And that's really important because if there's not a higher deity that you're serving in your mission when you're going about life, it can be incredibly difficult accepting the fact you're not recognized.
0: <laughs>
3: I, 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 there will be community events. There will be community things that happen. And it's the irony of it is that those in the systems of power and the infrastructure that's patched around us will not consider us as leaders. Some people could lead in one organization. Some of us could be working with over a dozen organizations that are serving our communities, but we don't get a seat at the table. We don't get a voice on the platform. We don't get the seats at the front. And that's the reason, because... We're not VIPs. We're not even on the guest list because people don't want us at the party. Now, it's lucky because people like Rohana, people like myself, we're activists, we're disruptors, and we don't mind that. But I think about those that are going about this with a different mindset, and they're not being recognized, and they're going through hardship. It's pretty cool and it takes its toll on a human.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Sufi. Peter? I'm just, uh, uh, sorry, Rahana, go for it.
0: Uh, I'm, I'm just really going to build on, on a little bit of that again, On some, pick up on some of the, the points that um, has made there. I think he, he draws out quite nicely some of the challenges that we have in engagement, the pigeonholing, the stereotyping. Um, and, and the fact is, and, I'm, and I'm particularly as, as a woman, these are things that are really difficult to step outside of. And as much as you want to ignore that, much as you want to ignore the racialization, the stereotyping, either way, you're constantly responding to it. And that's one of the things I learned quite early on, but there's um, a lot of discourse around Muslim women, quiet, subservient Muslim women, you know, um, oppressed by men, and, you know, all of this really sort of um, sincere, um, sad-looking faces looking at us, telling us, you know, so we really want to empower, um, empower these Muslim women. I mean, Google the words empower Muslim women. Um, I wonder how many Google hits we I wonder how many Google hits we come up with. But you know what in practice, do you know in practice nobody wants nobody wants an empowered Muslim woman. And if anybody has been around the table with me, um, you will know that people don't want a Muslim woman who knows her mind, who is willing to say things, who is willing to tell the truth and is is not willing to spare your feelings nobody wants a muslim woman who will not who will who will not who, who refuses to suffer fools gladly because of my 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 experiences and i know my friends um, sitting around you know in this conversation today will be able to attest to it the reality is is that makes people really uncomfortable they don't actually want you to talk you know there are certain things that you know they want us to talk about there are certain ideas that perhaps we would be useful for endorsing, um, but actually, uh, you know, overwhelmingly, when I do speak, and you know, oftentimes on very difficult issues, when I do speak, I am met with racism, Islamophobia, misogyny, sexism, because actually, I I'm, I don't I don't live up to the samosa serving stereotype that people want me to, um, and so it's really hard to. You know, as a person, sort of, even when you know those, those ideas are there about you and you try to, to push against them or even ignore them, it's really hard because the power of racialization, the power of these stereotypes um, it, it, and, and, and the extent of Islamophobia is so strong. Um, I mean, going back to your original question about what do we do about this and how do we support, one of the biggest challenges, and I think particularly around Islamophobia is it's a type of racism that many feel is justified and you hear lots of justificatory narratives around it which is why I brought up the issue of 9-11 on the outset because the war on terror has been the justificatory narrative that has allowed for ideas around Muslims to flourish not just ideas those ideas underpin um, the way that we are that we are treated the way that we are spoken about. I mean, we had a prime minister of this country refer to Muslim women as letterboxes, for goodness sake. And that completely, you know, shifts the, um, you know, those lines around what we think is extreme dialogue. And these are, you know, I'm kind of getting into, I think, you know, areas that are, you know, discursively quite complex. But, you know, um, when you've got prime ministers talking about, Muslims and writing about us in particular ways, you know, it shifts the whole country in terms of what is acceptable and what isn't acceptable, and what we do not have enough of, either in within politics, within the spheres that we we move, enough pushback from everybody else to say we do not accept this. This is wrong. We do not accept um, this. There is no justification for the ways and Sofyan told us the, the story earlier on about young people being held to account um or being made to feel grateful about you know being allowed into a classroom being tolerated in a school because um you know despite nine eleven um that conversation should never happen and nobody should listen to that um and think that's okay but actually people do listen to that and think it's okay. Um <coughs> you know uh, I think it was Baroness Iswadzi uh, many, many years ago who said Islamophobia has passed the dinner table test. It's one of those forms of racism that people feel really comfortably, comfortable, openly articulating around the dinner table. And I don't think much has changed. No, um, no and you've it's got not, right. it's, it's not. I don't think much has changed. And, and that's that's the big challenge that we have in terms of um, pushing against this. Um, if Sofiane and I try and do that, well, obviously, there are all sorts of layers um, and, and all sorts of assumptions laid onto that. Um, but actually, most people are all too ready to believe those things. When I talked before about the prevent duty, after the police, the biggest referrer of young people, the biggest um, referrer of young people to prevent are those people who I hand my children to every day with the thought that they are going to be looked after and protected, the biggest referrer after the police are teachers.
1: Yeah, thanks, Rohana, and and I think there's some very powerful <laughs> points you've you've made there. Um, the dinner table conversation, the the acceptability of it in in society, is is, is very wrong. And, I, and I'm I'm going to bring Peter in here, but but, but I'm also conscious of time. Um, what action points do you think are useful? Uh, coming from from the discussion we've just had, um, are there action points? You've mentioned uh, earlier um, how um, building bridges and 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 standing up for people and being friends alongside them is helpful. Um, I'm just wondering, are there any action points alongside that, or any wisdom you've got on that? I mean, Peter? I, I think and I would, just from the others I'd as under- well. Any action points as yeah. well?
2: In some ways, I'd underline what I've, what, what you just said. I mean. <laughs> I would encourage anybody listening to this to play it again and actually put yourself in the shoes. Try and put yourself in the shoes. You can never do it totally. But just try and think what it would be like so if you were trying to think about what it would be like to be in the shoes of the person who's who's experiencing that. But actually, let's be practical. If you were in the classroom, if you were walking in the meeting, if you were on the street, if you were wherever you are, if you were at the dinner table and this stuff was talked about, if you were at a conference with Sufian and somebody asked him about curry and cricket, how would you turn the subject back to the subject of the conference? And bring him, encourage him, you know, make a space for him to come into the conversation, to display what he's really there for. In other words, how can you not help somebody be heard, but actually just create space for them to speak up? I can never speak for them, for Sufian, for Rahana. I, I'm not gifted enough to do that. They have to bring their story into that, their, their thoughts. But I can, I can sort of help carve out a space. So that would be my challenge, where you're sitting at a dinner table and that sort of thing is said, and your Muslim friend alongside, and it's just a small little crack, wise crack, but actually, you know, this will be the 220th thing they've experienced this week. How can you challenge that? If you, as I say, the conference, in the meeting, how can you underline that space that they've contributed? It's, it's being practical about the things that we do to challenge these, quote-unquote, microaggressions, these expressions of downright bigotry that we all experience day by day. We all experience them, but they have to live with them. And, yeah. and you know, so just being very practical, how can I deal with that stuff when I experience it?
1: Yeah. Thanks, Peter, Rohana, Sufian. Any additional action points you think would be helpful for people?
3: Yep, I, I think uh, Peter's point about not—if you want to be an ally, you've got—you've—you—you you can't sit on a fence. Uh, you've got to stand up. You've got to stop it when you hear it. You've got to talk up. You've got to address it. Uh, like with any form of abuse, uh, we know that we're all complicit in it if we don't address it head on. And Peter's voice is always going to be more powerful than our voice in this uh, area because when people that are not from that faith or background say it, it sounds and it lands in a very different way than we say it. They expect me to say it. They expect Rohana to say it. So I think that's one action that people can take away. And the other one is awareness. Call Islamophobia Islamophobia. We know we have different types of abuse. And we know what's been achieved through anti-Semitism. We know that actually calling it out for what it is, giving it a name, and then unrelentlessly Pushing it and pursuing it to ensure when people cross that line into being anti Semitic, you will face consequences. And we've done that incredibly well as a society. And we've protected our community of people that were being harmed, that were being abused because of their allegiance to a faith, because of their outward expressions that could be seen, that associate them to a faith. In the same way, we're now seeing a rise year on year on abuse towards Muslim people. And therefore Islamophobia now needs to be something that people are made aware of. Islamophobia is something that needs to become something that's totally not tolerated in any walk of life whether it's government institutions, schools, establishments, or it is our own homes and our communities. When we hear it, it should feel bad. It should, it should give that really bitter taste in our mouths because we've just heard something that does not sound right. How do we do that? That takes years of awareness and years of activism and championing, and that championing cannot come from us. It has to come from the lay person that doesn't associate with that faith, that stands up and says it's unacceptable. And I think that's what I really call for is greater of Islamophobia. And I'm glad we've got this podcast and we're doing this this week in
0: Anti-Bullying Week.
1: Uh, Rohana, any action points from you?
0: I would just say, um, can you, sorry, can you hear me? What I would say, I guess, again, following on from the other two bits of advice, is that understanding um, what's happening and what's happening in the world around us requires constant work. Please be willing to do the work. And when I say do the work, you know, read, learn, make the effort to, you know, when we you know we've I've raised you know racialization in this discussion. we've raised different definitions around um Islamophobia, but please go away and do that work to understand. um there, there's no going there's not going to be an easy blog or podcast that's going to explain that to you. This stuff has histories that go go back centuries, and we need to make the effort to understand um you know how we are. How we've got to where we are today uh, in order to try and fix it going forward, and it's not and it's not a one you know a one step process. This is a commitment to learning that goes on that's continuous. Um, I often find you know racism is one of those things and types of racism one of those things that a lot of people feel that they are qualified and able to talk about on based on vibes alone um, <laughs> but 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 I'd really encourage people to make the effort. Do the learning, understand this. And the second thing, we all have our spheres of influence. So really on a micro level, we all have our spheres of influence, whether that's your church, whether that's where you're working, where you're you're a leader, what are you doing? My question is, what are you doing within those spaces? If you know and accept and are willing to accept that this is a problem, where is it happening? Because it will be happening within your organization. And what are you doing to fix it? Ask
1: yourself those two questions. Thanks, Rahana. Um, And just as we bring this to an end, there's some very good action points there. I think uh, for myself um, in in being born, um, you know, in the family I was born in, born with the color of skin I've got, born male, um, I, I've, I've been born privileged. I, I mightn't be of a noble birth, <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I'm born with certain privileges. And I think, and in that, I think there's that sense of whatever privilege, whatever position we have, whatever opportunity for our voice to be heard, we need to use that to help others and raise up others. And and enable and challenge. I think that's the thing. Uh, Challenge the positions that are around us that block others. And I think some of those things are very, very important uh, going forward. And and if we've been if we've got a position where we can use that voice, use it And, and don't just leave people not being heard. Uh, not been valued. I think it's been a great conversation. It's carried a lot of uh, weight behind it, and it just really opens our eyes to people who would be in different positions if society took a different approach to Islamophobia. So thank you all for your comments, and we'll end it here. Thank you.
2: Thank you so much.